Let's talk about your next patient. This is a 47-year-old single woman who presented at age 45 into July of 2007 with, again, pretty nondescript feelings. She felt like she was having hot flashes. She felt some abdominal bloating. She had some change in her bowel movements, but not really significant. Saw her doc. Doc could feel an enlarged liver, and that led to the workup, which actually showed a CAT scan, which showed diffuse disease involving the liver, and a colonoscopy, which showed a nearly obstructing lesion in the sigmoid colon. She is the sister of a physician on staff, and kind of early on, again, the introduction of a cancer specialist, surgeon, liver doc, et cetera, et cetera, was introduced into our approach to this 45-year-old. We all felt comfortable that she wasn't obstructed. We didn't have to do something about her primary tumor acutely. Even though she was anemic and her stools were positive, she was very well controlled in the hemoglobin in the 10 to 11 range. And she's begun on Avastin and Fulfox chemotherapy. She received, again, four and a half, five months of chemotherapy with marked reduction, again, in her palpable disease, in the evidence we had for biochemical markers, her CEA, her liver function test, all returned to normal. And her repeat CAT scans showed marked reduction of these multiple tumors that were present in both the right and left lobe of the liver. She was seen by the oncologic surgeon, the liver specialist, as well as her colorectal doctor, and they elected at that point in time to explore her with the thought that initially they're going to take out her primary tumor. I mean, it's still presented as a bleeding carcinoma. And the liver surgeon was going to explore the liver for possible local therapies, resection versus ablation. At the time of the surgery, she was found to have, with uh, intraoperative ultrasound, at least eight separate lesions, five in the left lobe, three in the right lobe, and question couple more in the right lobe. And the physician really didn't feel this was a woman that he was going to be able to resect completely. These involved all segments. But what he did do is he actually removed four large lesions in the right lobe of the liver, which was her large bulky tumor, and tumor ablated with radiofrequency ablation, all the other lesions that he could identify. And the colorectal surgeon removed her sigmoid colon at the same time. And then she presented to us postoperatively. And again, this is a 46-year-old woman who didn't have an easy time with this surgery. Even though we didn't actually do a liver resection, she described to us it was the first time she really felt sick. She had been working full-time through her neoadjuvant program and tolerated the side effects of the chemotherapy quite well. But this liver process kind of took her for a loop. Postoperatively, not unlike the other patient, our first patient, was that her CEA, which had before surgery had gone down to the low 60s, again started to rise, and her postoperative CAT scan, which we looked at actually, showed your typical liver that had been ablated. It was very hard to know what was tumor, but there were two target lesions that we knew were her cancer that we sort of focused on as the sites of her known disease. Her surgeon at the time of, after ablating these liver lesions, placed a hepatic artery catheter in place for infusional chemotherapy. Again, was this a tertiary type surgeon or? Yes. He had been trained at a tertiary center where hepatic artery infusion was favored, you know, certainly pre-Avastin or Batux days. And his feeling was, as he explained to me, was that, you know, 
here's again a young woman and we have all these other drugs, but intrahepatic therapy is maybe another modality of treatment. Did he ask you about doing that or just went ahead and did it? No, this was kind of directed by him. This patient came to me via him because of this sister who was a physician. So she had really kind of gone through his doors first and then to me. So he made this decision really at the time of the surgery when he realized he couldn't remove all her tumor. So for the first six months post-operatively, she received FUDR intrahepatically, alternating with systemic chemotherapy, and initially had tolerated it quite well, and markers that continued to go down until August of 08. And at that point in time, she developed what I thought was a beginning of this cholangitic picture that we can sometimes see with FUDR. Alkfos going up, transaminase staying normal, and markers going down. So we stopped the intrahepatic 5-FU, continued her on her systemic therapy, and she did well through the fall of 08 and convinced the surgeon that this hepatic pump wasn't doing her any good. He took that out in December of 08. And subsequent to that, because of a change in early 09 of what we looked at as her satellite marker increasing, corresponding to an elevated CEA in early 2009, and because of her KRAS non-mutated status, changed her to Herbitux and CPT-11, which she's been on now for the last six months with near normalization of her CEA, normalization of her liver function test, and marked improvement as of three weeks ago, at least of this satellite lesion that we knew were her residual disease. So, Axel, what were your impressions of her today? She looked good after she had been off therapy for quite some time. So her skin has cleared up. Um, she looked healthy to me. She had alopecia, so as after the renotecan-based therapy. And she actually said something very interesting during her chemotherapy treatment. You know, one of the key issues was that while she initially worked and then was on short-term disability, eventually she lost her job. And that was actually the most important thing for her. Her worries about the job and not being a part of society anymore that had some practical value, you know, working and earning your living more or less was more important to her than her cancer. So she said, you know, I dealt more with my social situation than with a cancer. So she moved from one step to the other with a cancer, just not realizing really what's happening. And now, looking back, she realized all the consequences, all the steps that were taken. And at the time when I saw her today, she looked good. She was upbeat. She enjoyed her treatment-free interval at this point in time. We looked at her scans. She still has tumors, so she's not going to be on a long-term chemotherapy-free interval. But I do think she has treatment options. She has a lot of different options that you can deal with. She's never progressed on Fallfox, for instance, plus Bevacizumab. So she could play that card. She had a great response on the Cetuximab. Actually, one of the things that we haven't talked about if patients respond to cetuximab, they respond rapidly. And this is one of the common themes. You know, the subset of patients that have a chance to respond to cetuximab, they respond rapidly and quite well, actually. So she definitely benefited from that. I was a little bit skeptical when I saw this about the pump, the FUDR pump, because, you know, this is definitely a local regional phenomenon here in the New York City area where it hasn't really spread out to the rest of the world. So this is something that happens here more commonly than any other place in the country. So I guess that's related to Nancy Kimeny's work at Memorial. Yeah, and I mean, the surgeons at Memorial are trained and they kind of spread locally and then they continue what they're doing, what they feel comfortable with. And I can tell you, Mayo Clinic, I had one patient where I implanted an FUDR pump 
in six years. So in a very, very particular situation where we really wanted to have some local response. Otherwise, I think most of us would consider this not part of our treatment algorithms anymore. You know, the initial approach, too, with the surgery seemed very aggressive. It sounded almost like a debulking, you know, variant kind of a thing. Is that appropriate in this situation? It really depends on how aggressive surgeons are, whether surgeons understand the overall, let's say, goal of therapy, because it's clear that in this situation, he will realize that he would not get the patient free of their tumor. We have no definitive data on whether debulking really helps. It's definitely not standard of care. And at Mayo Clinic, we would probably only resect it if we could have gotten everything out at the same time. So debulking surgery is not standard of care for colon cancer metastasis. You mentioned this woman is single. What's her support system, Dan? She has a wonderful family. She has a large family, multiple sisters and brothers. She lives with a sister and niece. Someone's with her all the time. She never comes alone. She's the great aunt. You know, she's the aunt that's always there and helping out her siblings and their children. Axel mentioned her work. What kind of work does she do? She was an administrative assistant. She had worked for a job for a long time, 18 years, left that for a new job, then back to it when she got this diagnosis and had a disability policy. And while she was on disability, they kept her job for three months. But then after the three months, they gave this job to another person and probably cancer related. I mean, this is one of those issues we again talked a little bit about. Certainly parts of the world, you can't lose your job if you have cancer. Being a small business owner, I know it's hard to not have your key people working with you. And unfortunately, I think this probably happens a fair amount in this country. We lose jobs. 